Hello and welcome back to the Move and Inspire podcast with me, Sophie Deer, where I chat to inspiring thinkers and leaders who will empower people like you and me to live a healthier and happier life. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Move and Inspire podcast. I'm thrilled to be chatting to an old friend of mine today, Rob Martineau. Rob and I went to school together when we were eight years old and only more recently reconnected after about 20 years. And I wanted to interview Rob because he's had the most incredible, inspirational story of quitting his job in London aged 27 and then embarking on a six month journey walking through West Africa which he has more recently ended up writing a book about. So hi, Rob. Hey, so lovely to connect. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Really lovely to connect with you and um, to be chatting about very different, but in some ways uh, similar journeys of quitting our jobs and going on a new path. So I'm really glad that's kind of brought us together. Yeah, 100%. It's amazing to be seeing everything you've been doing and, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. Me too. Um, so I suppose let's just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and what ultimately made you quit your job and embark on such a huge journey. Sure thing. So um, I suppose like many people, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left university. I was very lucky um, to have the chance to go to university, but I came out um, of that feeling like I needed to follow a certain career path. Um, not necessarily really wanting to, but feeling that that was the right thing for me and that there was expectations around that. Um, and I went to law school and was very fortunate to get a training contract with a large law firm. And I started work at that law firm. I was 25, I guess. Um, and quite quickly, I began to feel that it wasn't for me, that I was, I guess, on a path that I didn't want. Um, I felt physically my body was deteriorating. I was sitting down the whole time. I could even feel like my eyesight getting worse. I, I didn't feel well in myself, um, but I wasn't quite sure how to, I suppose, change things. Um, and all through that period and before, I've been reading lots of books about um, walking, being in nature, um, and journeys going back hundreds of years looking at, at different sort of cultures and different peoples um, using long walks as a way to to, to reconnect with um, a different way of life and I became really drawn to that idea and after um, kind of two years working at the law firm I took the decision to to leave um, essentially on a on a walking pilgrimage um, and I again was very fortunate to have the chance to do it but spent six months um, yeah walking in in West Africa and the book that I wrote about the journey, um, which I didn't write till some time afterwards, Waypoints, explores both the, the walks, it tells the story of my walk through Ghana, Togo and Benin, um, but the, the, the bigger part of the, the book, the main part of the story is how a long walk can be a, a transformative or a healing experience. Um, and so I look at the, I guess, the psychology and the mythology and the folklore of, of walking as a, a way to find a new path in life. I think it makes me um, realise how uh, incredibly intuitive you must have been because I think it takes people a long time to often quit their jobs and realise that something isn't quite right for them. For me, it took eight years. So for you, uh, 
just only taking two years, was there always like a feeling as you were going into the law sector that that maybe you'd end up doing something different or maybe you'd end up going on a journey like this? Like, was it something that you had wanted to do from childhood? Really, I think elements of it, yes. I'd always been, my father died when I was uh, very small and we'd always been, always been surrounded in our house with these objects and photos that I kind of turned, almost like mythologized myself. So he was into, really into mountaineering. And so I had his old like ice axe, his old like, cool like uh, 80s uh, alpine glasses had photos of him on these glaciers with his pals when they went off and did these amazing journeys and I never got to talk to him about that he kind of died, died when I was very small but I always think had these um, yeah these things around me that that made me I suppose want to do an adventure or have an adventure in life um, but it was something that was kind of in the background and then when I started kind of getting really into reading and writing, which was probably when I was 16, I, I read so many books um, by different people from all different walks of life who'd, I suppose, not necessarily gone off on adventures or traveling, but had tried to seek out a different path. Um, and through that, seemed to find a different level of fulfillment or had a more interesting life, I would say, than they might have had had they not taken it. And so I always... I suppose that was kind of building up in the background, but was never really actioned. Um, and actually one of the things that I guess gave me the confidence, but made me sort of jump was something really simple. I was working often 80 to 100 hour weeks um, in the law firm, and I would often be eating kind of three meals a day in the canteen. It was quite a kind of, it wasn't all bad, but it was quite a claustrophobic, all encompassing um, environment and lifestyle. And often the only time I'd have to take exercise if I ran back from work and I'd be leaving the office at say 11 midnight and I'd run back along the river through London and that sort of 40 minute half hour window of time would often be when I felt most um, at ease almost happiest um, and I when I would get to the end of the week I would sometimes be thinking what have I done that has sort of pushed me forward this week how have I spent my time in a way that feels right and those little junctures those sort of runs were the time that I most felt um kind of at peace or happy and I so the idea ultimately was to try to like take that and, and make it really long time and see what that would do um I think it's worth saying that I never it didn't feel that risky to me in a sense I felt that if it didn't work out um I could always come back to I don't say in a flippant way, but come back to another job in that sector. So I had, I was taking six months. Um, so it didn't feel like some massive f forever changing step. And I think that's quite important um, when trying to take these kind of decisions or, or create change in life, not to overplay it and to realize that it's just one step and you can always step back if you need to. And often that, that helps me when I'm looking to, to take bigger steps to, to have the confidence to do it. Um, and then it's, it turned out that it did completely change my life, but, and I never went back to that, that old way of life. But that wasn't necessarily the case when I, when I took the first step. Yeah, that reminds me of, um, I try and think of um, like, what's the worst that can happen? So when I moved to Bali, um, I mean, I originally was just going to be here for three months and I had a flight booked and then to come home and then obviously the pandemic happened. 
And um, but when I moved, I remember saying to myself, "What is the worst that can ha that can happen? I can come back to all my classes in London if I need to. My friends and family will still be here. Like I will be fine. If I end up deciding not to stay in Bali, then really the worst is that I just come back to what I was doing, and that was really not all that bad. So I think that mindset is very, um, uh, I think, helpful for people to remember." Um, one thing that I think is really fascinating about your story is the fact that a lot of people might take like a, a week's walk or, you know, a weekend retreat or a little holiday or some kind of break to reset, but six months deciding to walk, that's a huge commitment. Is that in your personality to be kind of quite, um, I don't know what the word to say, but, um, yeah, to, to, to really aim high. I don't know if I'm someone who, who aims high. I think with that journey, I'd, again, it comes back a lot to the stuff I was reading, but I sort of felt that having a, a long period of time was quite important for what I was hoping to get out of it. And I don't think that's the case with everything. It, it so happened that the stage I was at in life and what I was trying to do then, I, I believed that having that sustained period of time would would really help um help me kind of achieve what I hoped to through the journey and big part of the idea for me um and again it's something I explore a lot in waypoints the, the book about the journey is it's the idea of a, a walking pilgrimage as a kind of fast I've been um I suppose my old life I had so many inputs coming at me all the time whether it was partying loads tons of emails everything was kind of I, had, I felt like things were firing at me from all directions all the time and I really wanted to simplify my life and one of the things I found really interesting about the idea of a walk before I set out a long walk was that it was such a clear way to do that I, I kind of set out with I had like 40 objects in my backpack that I kind of wrote this list out to have the 40 every night I was sleeping in a tent and every day I was walking you know I'd walk for six eight ten hours a day all I'd have to do that that day was walk those miles and then when I got in I'd set my tent I'd rinse my walking clothes set them to dry make some food maybe write my journal a bit sleep up the next day and repeat and that rhythm I think for me in any event having it over a sustained period was quite important to for me to to sort of let it bed in to to become almost like a way of life um and i think again not the six months some sort of magic number but for me i think there was the duration of it um being on the road for for a sustained period of time i found was quite important um and i think one of the things that i love about walking and that makes it so simple is ultimately everyone can take you know the next step and all you have to to do is take the next step it can seem daunting if you think about it in terms of six months or thousands of miles but actually you break it down into weeks or days and you know 25 miles and then to hours and then just steps it's actually really simple and it's just about keeping that you know motion going and moving forward and again in waypoints I talk a lot about inertia and momentum which I think are such important and again walking is a really simple metaphor for that but ultimately they're the, for me like two of the most important 
elements to happiness or, or not feeling well like if you get stuck and I was feeling stuck before feeling that sense of inertia but walking for me was a way to kick myself out of that and it's a way to continually feel that progression and momentum because each day you have something to be proud of because you've made the miles and that making the miles is all you have to do and it I found that really clarifying in terms of helping me um you know feel positive and and feel like I was moving forward in my life I think that's such a um, beautiful way to describe it and a way that we can all kind of almost like a metaphor that we can all use um, in everyday life just that ability to take one step forwards one day at a time and not get overwhelmed with um, the daunting future um, tell us a little bit about um, the actual journey itself and did, were you following like a path that had already been taken or did you carve out the path? So in terms of the context of the journey, I started, I suppose, with the idea of wanting to walk um, and see it's such a privileged position to be in, to have the, I suppose, the freedom and the opportunity that I had, which was a six month window and savings for my work and, you know, no other responsibilities in some respects. So I had that freedom to... Um, to choose to do a journey like this and at that stage I was looking in different parts of the world I looked at um, doing a, a well-trodden pilgrimage walking pilgrimage route like the Camino which ends in Santiago in, in Spain or going to somewhere like the Himalayas which obviously has a, an amazing kind of culture of, of walking um, but in the years leading up to that journey I've been reading lots of books either written written by writers from or inspired by West Africa. Um, and so I built up this kind of reservoir of stories from that part of, um, of West Africa that just drew me to want to visit there. Um, and so there wasn't a great kind of plan in a sense to write a book or anything, but I was, I just really wanted to travel to that part of West Africa. Um, and there, there wasn't a, a kind of, as far as I know, there isn't a well-known kind of hiking, long distance hiking trail there um, in Ghana, Togo and Benin, which were the three countries that I walked through. So I kind of built the route just from reading and from maps. And I spent a long time planning the journey. And the reason, part of the reason the book's called Waypoints is because I built these um, these points along the way, almost like crosses on the map that I was kind of joining together through my own, um, you know, on the map, drawing the route out. And the route went about a thousand miles. It started in Accra, which is uh, the capital of Ghana, so a big modern city. And it went up through a place called Kumasi, which is the capital of the Ashanti people in, in, in Ghana. And then right up to the far north of Ghana, almost into closing in on the Sahel so where it gets much drier um, and it's less densely populated and then back down through Togo and Benin and all three countries are, are really amazing places to walk and they have really rich well, lots of very rich elements to their cultures but one particular that interested me was um, traditional African religions and whether there was something I could learn about my life and how I kind of approach life through through those cultures um, and one of the really special things about a journey, doing a journey like that in those countries on foot is that it, it felt very natural to arrive in a, a place that might be far from um, a store or a guest house and to be invited to set your tent and then to eat together um, with the family who kind of 
volunteers to take you in or the wider community, um, particularly in northern Ghana, people often would eat communally on, on long kind of mats. Um, and that was a really amazing rhythm of life in a way to feel just walking and to arrive somewhere um, to sleep and to eat and to, to kind of share something um, with with really hospitable people and then to move on. Um, and it's definitely a very different pace of life to what I'd been used to in London. Um, and yeah, in terms of the, the journey, I mean, it's there are obviously lots of kind of hard points as well, but by and large, I suppose it's one of the most amazing regions of the world I've ever visited. And I think to, to walk there was just such a special experience. And, um, you mentioned that you were hoping to take away from uh, the cultures and the religions um, that you came across. Were there any profound moments or any particular people that um, really kind of made their mark on you? And um, if so, what has that kind of now brought into your life as you're now back home? That's a great question. I think the two things I would say is, firstly, I'm from the UK and uh, Britain has a really horrendous, um, uh, has had really horrendous interactions with um, those countries over the years. Um, so obviously through slavery and then through colonial occupation, there's a horrendous yeah, legacy in a way of what my people have, have done to, to that part of the world. And one of the, the things I found really moving or really humbling is how it, despite that and it you'd see it in old places so there's slave forts still in Accra there are places that were slave markets and places like Ketampo, Salaga in the north there are amazing shrines which um, so holy sites which the British military police um, sought to shut down and, and did so forcibly and when you read the stories that I suppose accompany those physical structures it's it's really horrifying to to look at and to think god that was that was us when i say us i mean uh people from from britain um and i think it's really important to kind of give that i suppose that context to the trip as well although it wasn't something i went out thinking about um it's the first thing in my mind it was definitely something that kind of jolted me at various moments through the trip and through writing the book was something I, I tried to learn much more about um so I think that was one thing although not from obviously the the cultures of the people I um I was interacting with it was, it was very kind of present there to me in, in in sort of my awareness um and then the second thing thing that I found often often I would be invited to take part in I guess like festivals or um different community coming together to celebrate um kind of ceremonies and two things that really stuck with me which are kind of common to the there's lots of very different cultures in those in those three countries but the, the thing that, that was common to most of them was one this i suppose celebration of being very rooted to a specific place and being part of um a, a, you know a local community and it was something that certainly in my life in um london how i was then living it i, I didn't really feel that i was kind of going from a flat to london and uh, an office a high-rise office and i don't know traveling by tube and i felt pretty disconnected from anywhere in a way i was just like an urban person 
just hectically going around about my day and definitely made me um seeing what I I felt was a kind of benefit to having that more like rootedness want to to find that better um in my home which is which is Britain um and since I definitely put a lot more effort into that um because I think it it's really important um and the second thing which is kind of connected to the first was often this really powerful idea that I saw of, of people feeling connection to past generations and really um, putting a lot of effort into rituals which um, celebrate celebrated past generations and so be it dancing masquerades um, I suppose ritualized altered states of consciousness so falling into trance to try to to connect um, and that certainly made me think more about um, you know my uh, my dad passing away and even just wanting to understand a bit more about who my sort of my people were for want of a better word because I'd sort of not really thought like that and actually again I think it's it can be really important in terms of grounding who we each are um, and I think at least I can only speak for myself but in, in London the life I was living I was pretty disconnected from all that and actually it's very strange to be disconnected from all that because all through human history all through cultures all over the world that's a really it's been like a really central part of life and identity and we are probably when I say we like in London for example like we're just a pocket of time and place where that's become really absent we think of it as normal but I don't think it is normal and I'm not sure we fully understand what it's doing to us in some ways not having that connection to each other to the past to the land um and definitely again I don't have all the answers but try and explore that a little bit in the book because I think it's really important and and definitely through whether it was voodoo culture or the shanty culture um that I was sort of passing in a fleeting way in West Africa I found it really interesting the, the different ways to approach those kind of questions and uh, and how those things are lived sorry it's for a bit of a ramble <laughs> no that's great it, it I it's got me thinking so much about um, how, like, how was your mental state when you were actually walking? Because obviously, not only are you walking now into a, like, in a completely different culture, you were there for a long time, you've got a lot of questions bouncing around in your head, kind of around the meaning of life and, um, and, and how different how there are such different ways to live in the world, yet we get so stuck in whatever route we are in at the time. And I just, you know, I was thinking like, were you listening to podcasts as you were walking? Were you listening to music? Or were you there, yeah, questioning what was going on in the world and what you were going to do in the future? Like, and also, did you have um, kind of tools to control what was going on in your head because I know that the person I am I would have to um, really be careful with with where my mind could go um, if I was on my own for <laughs> six months walking for sure yeah I mean, there's a lot to sort of unpack there I I used to um, I suppose first thing to say I mean I wasn't always often I would be very absorbed in like the practical side of what I was doing um, and one of the things I think is really, again, really powerful about walking and something I explore in waypoints is 
I was trying to reconnect body and mind. I'd sort of, how I was living before, it was almost like my mind and body had become disconnected. I was living too much in my head. I wasn't using my body. It was inside the whole time. Um, I was probably only like taking, you know, being active for like half an hour every other day. And it's not enough. And actually one of the things that I, I think is really powerful about walking is kind of bringing those two things together. So your, your body is just working all the time time you know eight or ten hours a day and I think that has a very liberating effect um at least for me kind of mentally um but in terms of I didn't really listen to music I would use it as like a treat so I have one of those this is going back about seven years but I have one of those little iPod shuffles you know the tiny ones that um and I would often only get access to power every kind of four or five days and so it'd be something that I would store up I was feeling really low or was exhausted and I'd have like you know, an hour and a half or two hours of, of tunes. Um, but a lot of the time I'd be playing kind of mind games, which is a bit weird, but I'd be constructing um, things in my mind to, to give me a sense of progressing through the day. Um, and it would be really silly things, but like the next tree you pass, you can stop and have a sip of water or the first kind of village you pass after this time of day, you stop and you, I don't know, you try and get some food there. And I'd be using, breaking the day down as much as I could into smaller chunks and then um, kind of focusing on them to give me a sense of momentum and, and, and clocking off miles. And I mean, one of the, again, thing I explore a lot in, in Waypoints, this idea of kind of flow states. Um, and flow states is, a I guess, a concept or a concept in psychology is developed by a guy called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi who's an amazing Hungarian-American um, psychologist but his idea was that um, people are at their kind of happiest when they're in flow state and a flow state is when kind of super absorbed in what you're doing it's normally something that requires real focus and concentration um, Csikszentmihalyi is a big climber and he used to describe feeling this kind of communion between his body and the rock when he was climbing and in that moment he would be um, almost euphoric and often kind of sports people talk about it being in the zone um, but walking I would try to get into those um, kind of states of mind and I would feel that um, and then you lose sense of time and you just feel so absorbed in the walk and then the, the steps and you're beginning to kind of connect better with nature connect better with yourself and that's a great great feeling and also lots of the time I'd be like going nuts because I was too hot or feeling exhausted or you know lots of the things that kind of come at you that you don't want to come at you that you can't control whether it's like bugs I would have often like flies um just coming at me all the time and I had this kind of scarf and I would walk and kind of whip it one side the other side to kind of get the flies off me I mean this wasn't all the time it'd be things like that and it was often training my mind to be like don't worry about the flies just like incorporate that motion into your walk when you need to and then that almost becomes like an addition to the steps and so you're trying to kind of close out in a slightly meditative way things that could be driving you nuts if you let them drive you nuts and try and convert them into something that's just there and you can't control and so do what you can and um but I was probably a lot less calm <laughs> calm than I seem about it now um, did you ever think about giving up or did you ever have moments thinking, what am I doing? I had a few. I mean, I think um, 
one of the things again about walking is and especially where I was if I was often off road you know I'd be following kind of paths it's not really I mean you can either go back to the last village or you can go on to the next village it's not uh, it's not like there's really any other solution I suppose you could camp where you are but um so that was always there and it meant that often the, in the lowest moments the moments when I might be most tempted to give up you didn't really have the option and then once you'd got to the next settlement you're kind of feeling better because you've reached it and so again I think there's something about walking which helped me kind of keep going it just is quite it's something that you kind of need to keep going through um there were definitely moments where I, my body just kind of broke down I remember in northern Ghana it's uh it's quite sparsely populated and there would often be long distances between settlements where I'd be able to get water um and one day I walked like 40 miles which is a lot and if you're walking 40 miles in a day um again with a big pack it's a long it's like 13 14 hours on your feet and I camped that night and then the next day I had to walk 30 miles to reach a place called Yape, which is on this um kind of river junction and I remember my mouth kind of burning out for like two hours I ran out of water before I got there and it was quite overwhelming coming into from kind of not the middle of nowhere but being surrounded by nobody and then reaching your pay and there's people everywhere there's fishermen trying to flog you fish there's people trying to flog you dvds there's everyone there's so much commotion and i just found that i remember sort of blacking out then and i woke up with this old guy kind of i woke up by this mosque and this old guy kind of pouring water on my face and everyone's kind of you know very concerned for me and um and actually i ended up taking a truck from there to the next place where there'd be um you know kind of guest house but wherever I came into those kind of situations where I my body kind of stopped um there would just be so much support and you know you always I felt that if if something went wrong that people people would would help me and that was shown to be the case time and time again in kind of more dramatic moments like that but also in very kind of undramatic moments where I was getting lost or um and it may again it made it such a special place to to undertake a journey like that because you just felt although you're kind of in a sense on your own you're not really on your own because the whole way there are people who are kind of looking out for you and who are just curious about what you're doing because you know it, it just looks a bit strange some guy walking around with a backpack um so that was a very kind of powerful thing as well to help you keep going feeling part of this you know amazing network of other people who you don't really know but there's some something there that means they will help you and it's that kind of ancient we have it in all parts of the world but that like helping a traveler um and definitely felt that uh that there so when within the journey did you decide that you weren't going to go back to the unhealthy um overworked lifestyle that you'd been living in the uk um, so it wasn't immediate. I actually came back and I really needed to earn some money. I mean, I, I came back to London. I was skin. I had nowhere to live. I, I kind of, you know, I felt I've, I've got to sort of get the basics. Well, I've just got to make some, you know, uh, earn enough money to make rent. And, um, and I got a job doing something a bit different, but again, working in office. But then over that period, the kind of 18 months after I finished the walk, I began working with two friends on an idea for a business and a charity, which we subsequently launched in um, 2015. Um, the company's called Tribe. We make amazing plant-based nutrition products for 
um, for kind of active lifestyles. And then we have a charity that, that fights human trafficking. And that has been a really amazing kind of part of the journey. It's been the last five, six years doing that. That's my, you know, my main, my main focus. Um, and that's been a really amazing thing. So it in- incorporates lots of the things I, I suppose I took from the walk, but in a, obviously in a more kind of sustainable way in terms of, um, living what you might say is a kind of normal life. Um, but in terms of, you know, giving me, um, you know, a sense of building something, but I'm also, we put on tons of events, be they sort of small, like half marathons through to kind of 250 kilometer ultra marathons. We have a big community of people who take part in them. Um, we're very kind of connected with being outdoors, helping people take on adventures. So it's kind of all in the same, the same area um of life in terms of those kind of the benefits that I took from the walk and so that's been a really yeah I feel really lucky that that's happened and that I've managed to be part of that um since the walk super cool I am I remember that actually a while ago when I first started my yoga business um try uh supported one of my events I don't know if you remember (laughs) that yeah but um yeah, they are delicious bars. Um, why did you choose that charity? What? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's actually through Tom, my um, my co-founder at Tribe. So he had, in a past life, been working on kind of social policy issues. One of which was human trafficking, um, and. There was then another journey, another kind of long run. Basically, Tom, um, guy, and I, I set Tribe up with had an idea to try and run a thousand miles in 30 days we'd done a lot of long distance running together um and that we kind of came to as a challenge and we set out to sort of plan this journey which equates to sort of running about a marathon and a half a day over a month and we wanted to run for a cause and tom had suggested kind of human trafficking at a very kind of broad level as a cause that would be good to support um because he had this knowledge of it I didn't even know it happened like modern day slavery was a thing to be honest at that stage I thought slavery being abolished you know 300 years ago and you know no longer was was something that took took place um but it was very kind of shocking to hear how prevalent it's, it was in the modern world um and then we met this amazing organization called love 146 who were looking for funds to build the first what was then the first home in the UK that provided dedicated rehabilitative care to victims of child trafficking so people who've been through the most profoundly um, traumatic experiences young people and we left that meeting just really kind of fired up for what they were trying to do and trying to really wanted to help they needed quite a large sum of money in order to make the home a reality and we we quickly realized with just three of us that we wouldn't be able to raise that amount Um, and that was when kind of the idea for tribe and the Tribe Freedom Foundation started really is we we had the idea to try and get more people to run with us on our thousand mile run and so we sort of cut the route up into stages and we ended up to cut a long story short having this kind of Forrest Gump crew of runners who'd come from all over the world to run we were running across Eastern Europe um, to join for stages of the journey and there were 250 of them um, in the end and collectively that group raised um, enough to create the home and 
we set the Tri-Freedom Foundation up after that to kind of continue the mission of, of those runners. And we've she's just about to get to having raised a million pounds um, to fight human trafficking. And we do a lot of work, um, mainly UK based, but we support um, a built two safe houses in the UK that provides care to women who've been um, survived um, human trafficking. And we help fund the Modern Slavery Helpline in the UK, which again it, it operates as a kind of alert system um where people might think there's someone is a, a victim and, and connects them with specialist support and so we've built something all through the efforts of the sort of tribe community something really special in, in that space and we're you know obviously our own mission is to end modern slavery that's a you know a task we won't obviously do on our own there's every 40 million people living in the world and in a condition of modern slavery and so there's huge work to be done but it's um yeah, it's it's really amazing seeing the kind of suppose the human stories of um, you know the support that's been given and that kind of transformation coming from something uh, un- I find unimaginable, you know, so difficult to really imagine what's actually happened to people um, that who've been through such traumatic experiences and you know doing the small bit we can to help to help them rebuild their lives. It's incredible, and to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about. Um human trafficking so perhaps like um after this we can get some links that i can link people to learn a little bit more about and support the charity um and also learn about some of the events that you're doing and um yeah i think that would be really wonderful for um, listeners to kind of engage in so um obviously you come back and you you didn't do the journey to write a book but you decided that you did want to write a book um, about your experiences. So um, tell us where that came from. Yeah, so I'd, I remember getting, when I was walking, I would often be writing a journal. It was kind of the only distraction I had. If I um, got in, say, late afternoon, I'd set my tent, I would often sit and write for the last hour of the day. Often I didn't have a book, I didn't have any, no TV or anything. Um, and I would post these notebooks home every kind of month or so when I got to a place at the post office and I got home um, and my mum had sort of put them on the uh, on my bed in my childhood room because at that stage I, had, I didn't have didn't have my own place and I um, I remember thinking it'd be so cool to kind of create something out of these um, and I actually did try I tried to I suppose write write a book and just a kind of travel story and it just didn't wasn't enough there um there wasn't enough of a why there wasn't enough of a story um and I kind of put it to rest basically I was I was working on tribe I was very kind of focused on that but then very sadly someone I'm very close to had a um a breakdown um this was in late 2017 and um, that person was in a psychiatric hospital and I was visiting them um, kind of every other day through the, the month that they were there. And in the latter stages of um, that treatment, someone, a volunteer would come and take him just out for a walk um, uh, each day. And seeing that, how sort of impactful or how important that sort of period of each day was um, for him and then seeing how walking um, became um, sort of part of his recovery it made me think again about some of the ideas I'd taken into my walk and taken from my walk and it was at that point that I began sort of 
writing properly but writing with more of a like focused goal in mind with more of a a structure to the story and um and so there were two stories it was obviously the story of my journey but I suppose more importantly there was um the story of how and why at least from my perspective walking can be that kind of healing experience I think that's amazing taking um obviously a very difficult situation and then um, writing something that could, um, and I'm sure is, ultimately really helping other people. Have you had, I know the book has only more recently launched, but have you had some feedback along those lines um, of anyone reaching out to you? It's been really special, actually, because it's a strange thing, writing a book, because you're kind of in your little bubble with my, well, with your agent and your editor, and I'm really lucky I have an amazing agent and editor, but it's quite a small pool of people which for something that is such a big project in some ways like I was I used to get up at five every morning to write for two and a half hours for work I'd spend most evenings weekends and it's a kind of three-year project um working incredibly hard on it and so when it it kind of comes out in the world it's a bit of a like god I wonder what people are going to think so you you don't really know ultimately there's only been a, a couple of you involved in it but it's been really amazing I think it's had amazing reviews, which has been really cool, and it's had um, some amazing, um, I've had some amazing reviews from writers I really admire as well, which has been been really special. But I think the most kind of the thing I've loved most is people reaching out who either I don't know or I very vaguely know who've sent me letters or um, or, or messaged me saying how much they've enjoyed the book, how much it's meant to them, and that's that has been. Um, yeah really really special and not something I sort of expected I had one of my friend's dad sent me this like five page letter and then with a a quote from one of his favorite books um, about kind of living adventurously I don't know there's little things like that which are which are really nice Um, so no it's been it's been cool kind of seeing that and it's as it says it's it's new it's only out three months ago so hopefully yeah hopefully people keep reading it and keep enjoying it (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. Um, so finally, um, just to kind of wrap things up, I would, I just want to ask you what you would say to anyone who is perhaps in the situation you found yourself in, um, aged, um, well, 25 to 27 in a job where you struggled in a job where you were just overworked and you just knew it wasn't right for you what would you say to someone who was going through something similar now kind of looking back with the experience and the knowledge you have I think um there's a few things I would say I mean I think I was, I was really lucky to take the decisions I did when I did because I think often depends on like life circumstances but often those decisions only get harder um and so I, I'm really grateful that I took the plunge when I did because I think if I was trying to do it now I'd find it much harder um so I would say try to to take those decisions as early as you can um and the second thing I would say is which kind of may sound like it's contradicting the first but is really think about it I mean I spent a long time getting really into the I suppose what I was trying to do spending a lot of time reading around it I suppose planning and I think it is really important to kind of really invest in that because the more you invest in that I think the more you'll you'll get out of 
you know that decision in a way or the or, or the change um and i think often it, it it can feel quite easy to kind of keep changing um but actually i think it's it's better to try to really think about the change invest a lot into it and then only have to make a couple rather than jumping around every year on year um i don't know does that make sense yeah, it, it actually just reminds me of, I think, what uh, a huge part of what I'm going to take away from you is this idea of just breaking it down step by step. So you just start with the planning and then take each day as it comes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that's the, sorry, the third thing is, is definitely that. Like, don't be daunted because actually if you break it down, it's often really really simple and I've got me lucky to do lots of these long kind of foot journeys over the years and and actually through tribe seeing people come to their first they're really nervous coming to their first kind of 7k run club that we put on in, in London and then through that they've then sort of gained the confidence to do their first kind of marathon which they've done with us and then through that do their first kind of ultra marathon and through, through the experience and then they've gone on and done extraordinary journeys that are much harder than anything I've done I've got a, f- a few people of mine who've, who've done that who I've seen kind of do that and running or walking I find it such a simple way to kind of visualize how you can take progress by taking one step often the first step's the hardest to take and it and it's just kind of getting out and doing that and then the path kind of shows itself to you and I definitely um, yeah I think that it's one of the most important things about taking the plunge is just taking the first bite-sized step <laughs> rob you're amazing and it has been so lovely to talk to you thanks so much for having me so lovely to speak to you too yeah we'll link all so many things the book um how people can um hear about tribe the charity etc we'll, we'll link that all in the notes I just want to take this opportunity to let you know about my Move and Inspire membership. My online membership is for those ready to commit to moving and meditating regularly. It's not just about exercise, it's about a way of life, and it's about empowering your mindset with accessible tools for you to feel like you can embrace everything the world has to offer you. Every month we give you at least four new yoga flows. We also give you access to our archive of over 100 videos suitable for every level. This includes vinyasa yoga, yin yoga, yoga and live music, HIIT, strength training and more. We give you two new meditations a month to help you inspire a sense of calm and focus. We also have an archive of over 50 meditations exploring topics such as letting go, gratitude, acceptance, learning to surrender, imposter syndrome, compassion and kindness. Our community provides a private space for members to share their stories, recommend podcasts, books and inspiring quotes. If a membership isn't quite right for you, then head to my website sophiedear.com for courses such as the 14-day challenge, yoga for beginners and self-growth workshops. There's all sorts of free stuff up for grabs too, so just check out the link on the homepage. We would love to have you as part of the tribe So check out the links in the podcast notes. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspirational tips, please head to www.sophiedeard.com and sign up for my weekly wellness letter.